Welcome to Care Talk, America's home for incisive debate about healthcare business and policy. I'm David Williams, president of Health Business Group. And I am John Driscoll, CEO Emeritus of CareCentrics and the incoming president of healthcare at Walgreens. David, I got a promotion. Well, John, it's about time. And you know what? It, I don't know if they're paying you anymore, but I'm glad they gave you a hat at least. You know, that's, that's I good. got a great hat. <laughs> that looks like an awesome hat. Well, Walgreens, John, that is an outstanding company. We've talked about them for sure uh, on the show. Congratulations uh, to you and the whole uh, Kiocentrics team. I'm going to be see. I'm going to expect more from you, though, John. You expect more from a leader. Well, <laughs> well, I think that this that Walgreens is an extraordinary opportunity to show what the less, the lower paid, but constantly in contact with patients, clinicians can do. I think it's a really amazing platform to leverage not just the assets of Walgreens. Uh, and so you should watch your own whatever, uh, David, but also all of these wonderful 90, the 90,000 clinicians, the, the pharmacists and farm techs who work at Walgreens and the fact that we're, that Walgreens is within three miles of every household in the U.S. gives us an amazing opportunity to potentially lower costs and improve outcomes. But David, we are here to talk about your sort of old fashioned view again of yeah, technology. So telehealth, sure. yeah. what, what, what say tell, well, let's start with, not why you're against it, why you yeah. don't understand it, but perhaps we could start by just defining what is telehealth? Well, John, it's a good, it's a good question. I mean, I think about telehealth as really sort of care at a distance. It certainly implies, you know, a telephone. And that's how it was originally uh, used about you getting care by calling the doctor and getting their view. Sometimes it was actually one doctor talking to another doctor. But the way I think about it, it's care at a distance, John. You got a patient, you have a provider, and they're not in the same room but the, the provider's caring for the patient. And, and David, people like you prevented telehealth from expanding for decades. Uh, the telephone uh, was, 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 was created uh, by, by, by Bell over yeah. 100 years ago. We've had cell phones and smartphones for almost 20 years. It took a public health emergency in covid really to break this open as an opportunity. I think that's crazy, but maybe you could give some context for why, you know, cretinous people like yourself who didn't want to innovate thought telehealth and where we stand today post the public health emergency or COVID. <clears throat> well, John, if I had any concerns that uh, you working for one of these big companies was going to soften the edges, I guess they haven't had a chance to bring in the, uh, the, uh, the image sh uh, shakers yet. So I'm glad to have you while you're still calling me out like, like how you see it. John, here's what happened with telehealth. You know, uh, physicians got paid typically for when someone would come to the office. And then when the telephone came, they found themselves answering the phone and not getting paid for it. And so even though we had the internet, as you said, for some time, um, in fact, around uh, the year 2000 is when uh, this, you know, sort of versions of telehealth started. It was very slow to, to take on, to, to catch up because when email started to come, doctors said, hey, I don't want to treat, email is going to be like the phone. I'm not going to get paid for it. I don't want to do it. And that's one of the things that's really has slowed it down. Now, John, the public health emergency, what happened, of course, is that uh, the, the physicians are only going to do what they could get paid for. And when the pandemic came and all of a sudden offices were shut and the only way you could have an appointment was via telehealth, well, then, like you said, it exploded. And it really exploded, John. For example, in Medicare, which had offered some telehealth, it 
it went up by a factor of 63 from 2019 to 2020. And so you've seen a chart that looks like this, you know, like 0.3% of Medicare uh, eligible patients had, had used telehealth in 2019 and it went up way up, just like completely off. Well, it was the only was way you could actually see and talk to a doctor. Uh, you know, the, the reality is that telehealth or asynchronous or synchronous care at the same time or care delivered or, 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 or recommended at different times via technology has been available to your point since the internet. Uh, there were, there were innovators like Teladoc and MD Live and others that were aggregators of technology that they would provide to doctors. But doctors fought it uh, because, to your point, they're already working on the habit trail of hard work, feeling like they're walk running up the down escalator with all of the work they have and all the paperwork they have. Insurance companies didn't like to pay for it because their fear was that if it's just you know another thing to pay for between the time uh, a person actually gets to see the doctor. But I think what we saw it, it, under the crisis of a time when you, when the most dangerous thing you could do, one of the most dangerous things you could do outside of getting COVID was visiting a place where people with COVID were getting care yeah. was actually leveraging technology. I mean, we did it with home health agencies. Doctors did it in their offices. Mental health specialists did it over the phone and whether it's video or chat and chat could be in real time or it could be text. I think a lot of patients actually uh, felt really good about it. It was like a one-time massive social test. So take that, you, you, you anti-technology yeah. regulator. I um, mean, what, 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 what do you have to say about it now? Well, John, certainly what happened, um, you know, was that this also occurred, the emergency occurred at the same time that people were already starting to use, um, you know, video conferencing, desktop video conferencing, like Zoom in oh, particular and all the other competitors. And so people are, so John, listen, people are ready to do it. So if you think about, you know, who needs, who's the most tech savvy, it tends to be the younger people in general, and who needs care the most, it's the ageist. older people. No. Ageist. You are insulting people like me who are no. over the age of 60. Stop no. it. You're not over people, the age of 60. People, if you look at what happened during the public health emergency, people over the age of 65, David, take that, actually enjoyed using technology. They don't all have access to, to, to well, smartphones. And not all of them have technology savvy kids like yours uh, or grandchildren like yours. I don't know how old you really are anymore. Yeah. And, 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 and they found that the, the phone and the computer, I think we, the, the, the society found that, that Medicare eligibles actually rather enjoyed using technology. Yeah. And they, and they, and it became a critical link in them accessing care. So, John, there was, a, uh, you know, two decades of very, very slow growth because people just sort of assumed it wouldn't work. You know, why is this, it didn't change? And then there was this huge change. And now there is some, uh, reversion back to the mean, you know, so there was went from like in Massachusetts where I am, you know, telehealth visits were like 80% of visits at the height of the pandemic from had gone from 1% to 80%. And now they've drifted back down more toward 20% or so. And we want to make sure we don't lose out on what we learned uh, during the pandemic. Now, one thing about, you know, whether people like telehealth, uh, the surveys have and some studies have shown that like 80 to 95% of patients said, yeah, they like telehealth. And actually, there was one study that said 41% would have chosen telehealth 
even if an in-person visit was available. So we can't forget this when the, you know, the public health emergency ends and we're sort of back to it's, normal. It's, it's a really good point. I think the assumption of healthcare, the system, the sort of the, 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 the industry that represents healthcare is it massively undervalues the time of the patients and their families and caregivers. And often healthcare, I mean, how, how do you have a consumer industry that's about, that's about caring for vulnerable people that always asks you to wait for an appointment to access it? I think that one of the great things about John, telehealth, knew, to your point, they knew, they, they knew how convenience. They knew how patient you were. That's why they make you wait. If they called, maybe if they called instead of calling a patient, they called them the uh, in our hurries, it would service would be better. You, you don't, you don't have a choice, David. I mean, in the People's Republic of Massachusetts, where you live, try to get an appointment at Mass General. I've tried to do it for my mother. It was, it was brutal. And the, and the, and the system is not, is not set up for access. And I think what telehealth does is it levels the playing field. Some of the most in, interesting innovations during the public health emergency were things like texting for vulnerable, for teens who are vulnerable mental health issues. Um, telehealth visits for therapists that help calm down some of the, a lot of the anxiety and depression that people have and, and, and the, and the, and the, and the, and the, the avoidance of an ER visit for a, an earache or a sore throat where doctors and nurse practitioners could take care of young mothers over the phone. I think you're absolutely right. We have to make sure we preserve this because there are, there's still a long regulatory overhang of local uh, hospital doctors associations and hospitals that are and, and some insurance companies that are skeptical, but we proved this can work. And in a time when really we know that we need to provide more on ramps for vulnerable patients, I, I'm really concerned, David, that that uh, the system will snap back and create either a regulatory or a reimbursement challenge for visits that actually are leading to people to to healthier lives for people. So, John, let's talk about a couple of those things. We certainly talked about the age piece before, and you're right. I was actually going to make the point that older people who might have not wanted to learn how to use Zoom, all of a sudden that was how they could do it in order to be in touch with people, and they also started to use telehealth. Now, there is a difference. About 75% of younger people use video with telehealth, and about 50% of older people do. But you can do telehealth with a telephone. It doesn't have to be the video. You talked about vulnerable populations, and I think it's very interesting um, that if you think about the convenience, so like for someone like you or I who works for a, for a company that offers, you know, the leave policy, you can take off a half a day and go to the doctor. It's not convenient, but you could do it. Uh, somebody who's actually going to lose their half day wage can't do it, right? But they probably have a phone so they can, they can get access to telehealth uh, that way. Mental health, behavioral health is an, an area where the demand totally spiked uh, during the public health emergency. And it tends to be a great use case, actually, for telehealth. It, it works very well just because of the nature of the condition, uh, makes it easier to treat uh, at a distance. And then also the shortage of mental health workers and the need to try to match people up with somebody who's going to be a fit for them means that the broader geographic scope is, is going to be is going to be better. So it's not as good for things where you need to do a lot of really hands-on with the patient. But mental health, by its nature, is not something where, you know, there's a lot of uh, oh, physical exam. Oh, I hear a little bit of a desire to narrow the approach here. Why Focus. don't we maximize yeah. and take advantage of technology? We could actually do more home-based tests. We could, I mean, we have a system. David, are you, are you, are you paying attention to the fact that we have 10,000 people getting, becoming Medicare eligible 
every day. We've got an access problem for poor people around the country. We've got doctors who are burnt out because they're working so hard. And you're going to start to cut off some of the technology leverage that we get from texting, telephones, and computers. I mean, what's your problem, David? Yeah, that's, well, John, that's the first step to answering the question. But the let's talk about telehealth a little bit because you slid a couple of little things in there, okay? So I talked about is care at a distance, right, between a provider and a patient. But you mentioned asynchronous, which is a fancy way of saying not at the same time. Uh, but then there's also, do we consider, first of all, that. yeah, do we consider that to be telehealth? And what about stuff like remote patient monitoring or chronic care management? I mean, there's some things that are used that are not purely, my point is hey, not purely a hey, telehealth don't, visit. Don't make it complicated. Okay. How about patient monitoring using technology? Yeah. How about care management? Like, this isn't that hard, David. You just have to embrace the 20th century now that we're in the 21st. Yeah. And come on. This is like, David, I'll give you an example of how stuck we are as a healthcare yeah. system. There's this wonderful example of the Indian Health Services has, a, has had a really hard time, as you know, providing dent, get dental services in northern Alaska. Because I, as, I, as I know, you are very focused on yeah. that part of the world. They, what's happened is there's, there, there are not enough dentists to go around, particularly in remote parts of the Indian Health Association. And the the Indian Health Association started to leverage telehealth to teach local people to actually pr provide a basic set of dental services. And you know what the American Dental Association did, even though it wouldn't provide a dentist? They sued the local authorities that were teaching people leveraging telehealth. We need to embrace these tools because there are plenty of places where there's either lack of access because we don't have the specialists or lack of access because the time that a patient can actually connect in a safe way with the system is more consistent with 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 care at a distance with technology as opposed to care in person. I mean, embrace the future, David. <laughs> well, John, I think you're going to have a lot less time for leisure trips to Alaska. Never mind northern Alaska. You do a little fishing. I mean, they get your dental work done. Yeah, somewhere somewhere else. I am familiar with the Indian Health Service, John, as they may mention that, but. Uh, you know, my brother was uh, was actually worked at the Northern Navajo uh, Medical Center in Shiprock, New Mexico. So I've actually been out there. It's actually fascinating, uh, fascinating kind of a place. They used to call him the helicopter guy because when a patient would be in trouble, he'd send him off by helicopter to uh, uh, Santa Fe. Nonetheless, not for dental work. <laughs> but I just I just think what you, what you've seen is over time the healthcare system has a really hard time with new novel and 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 not specialist driven we have to embrace new access points and lower cost solution or we're going to be stuck with this system that costs right. too much and doesn't perform so john here's the thing so we talked about the public health emergency also known as the pandemic now the the fact that it's declared as a public health emergency actually has some implications for telehealth so medicare expanded the use of of telehealth and a lot of those things snap back when the public health emergency ends, I think three or five months after it ends. But uh, so there are some actually implications of declaring that the, you know, that the emergency isn't over yet. So in some ways, of course, we want the pandemic to be over. We want the emergency to be over. But it's actually there's a positive thing about you know, declaring that it's not at an end uh, yet. Maybe that gives well, some time to make it more permanent, these changes. But, I, but is, are we at the end? I mean, you seem kind of like hedging here. Like, what's going on? Are we at the end of the emergency or not? I think that the pandemic uh, 
it, it's fair enough to say that the emergency is over, but uh, so I'd say, yeah, declare the emergency over. But when you I do that, to President Biden, he says we're done. He said a lot of things, uh, <laughs> some of them that get walked back by the White House after he says them. And I won't veer into foreign policy because I don't want anything to be censored here. But the I think it's important to say, yeah, let's end the emergency, but let's maybe extend it if if ending it means that, hey, people on Medicare are not going to have access to telehealth anymore. So I, I, I wouldn't jump to uh, to end it so quickly. I, but, I think I think, unfortunately, we are at the end, but we need to embrace the speed and decision-making and willingness to try and test new things that we had during the emergency. But perhaps we can at least agree on that, David. Sure, John, we can. I'd love to agree with you. Now, here's a chance to disagree or agree. And I want to ask uh, for a last question about, do you think telehealth can deliver on its promises or is it overhyped? Well, I, I think with people like you, you have to overhype it for people, for people to even get access. But I think it over-delivered in mental health. It over-delivered in terms of access to basic primary care. And we're kind of figuring it out with specialist care. But I think we're very much in the early innings of accessing technology to kind of give people the self-care options and and to actually extend more care, which is absolutely essential. What about you? I, I don't think it's overhyped, John. I think that... Uh telehealth can do can have a gigantic impact and we have to make sure that we don't put back the restrictions that were in place from an insurance and administrative standpoint and that we don't let ourselves forget you know the silver lining of the pandemic was really to say I don't need to be a patient sitting at the doctor's office forever I don't need to cut off care from people that can't take off a half day from work so no I want to see it go there and I think it's only it's too bad that it's taken 20 years you know, for us to start to, to have that. I don't want to see it come back down to 20%, 5%, 2%. I want to see it go 50%, 75%. I think that's where it belongs. Awesome. Well, John, that's it for yet another edition of Care Talk, although it is different since you, you're shifting jobs. I'm going to have to think of a fancy new title for myself uh, for next time. But anyway, for now, I'm David Williams, President and Chief Operating Officer of Health Business Group. And I'm John Driscoll, the president at Walgreens for Health for U.S. Healthcare. Thanks for listening. And if you like what you heard or you didn't, please subscribe on your favorite service. 